0: Hello and welcome to In Conversation with the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2022's theme is future proof. This month's topic is beauty retail, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. Is investing in digital products, people, and services the best way to future proof the beauty retail industry? Or indeed, should the industry focus on sustainable products, people, and services? How can companies navigate the new beauty landscape whilst also dealing with the effects of global shocks and stresses to the current business climate? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel. Welcome back to Mallory Huron, Beauty and Wellness Strategist at Fashion Snoops. Joining us for the first time is Charles Giles, founder at Revere, and Mimi Ghosh, technology and disruptive commerce banker at JP Morgan. Welcome, everybody.
1: Thank you for having me back. Excited to get this discussion going.
2: Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Great to be here too. I'm excited to talk about the beauty industry. Mallory,
0: let's start with you. What are the current social drivers fashion snoops have been tracking that are influencing the future-proofing of beauty retail?
1: So consumers in 2022 are experiencing a complicated range of emotions that are driving a lot of the beauty retail trends that we're seeing. This is, of course, not only due to the ongoing pandemic issues, but also the trauma and stress of global social justice movements, as well as international socio-political events. So, in terms of future proofing, it's important that beauty brands today are aware and appreciative of all these major culture to product trends that are driving retail. And we're increasingly seeing that when brands cannot evolve and adapt with consumer needs, they're suffering bitter consequences from an increasingly unforgiving public. So, one of the most prevalent conversations we've tracked has certainly been an increased focus on wellness, holistic health, and emotional well being. One of the biggest refrains we've heard over the last two years is that every brand needs to behave like a wellness brand, which really boils down to the fact that every brand needs to consider the emotional, mental, and self-care needs of their consumer in order to connect and resonate with an increasingly stressed out population. Consumers are craving authenticity, compassion, and generosity from brands during these continuously difficult times. And brands who acknowledge and cater to this need secure the trust and loyalty of consumers. So we've seen initiatives like Clarence New Skin Atelier, store concepts, which are being rolled out at select locations in Europe and Asia. These feature perks like complimentary mini beauty and wellness treatments, also personalized skincare consultations. You're greeted with a like a mini wellness drink and spa water upon arrival. There's relaxing ambient spa music and even a warm, refreshing towelette which is essentially turning a brick-and-mortar store into a spa-like experience for consumers. The brand is also introducing beauty workshops at these locations so that consumers can get a deeper understanding of the products and holistic beauty practices. We've seen many brands incorporating similar elements, with third-party retailers and independent brands alike introducing Nutra Cosmetic Supplements, holistic wellness tools like facial massagers, and also opening up to sexual wellness and the new spirituality conversations. By tapping into this wellness mentality, brands are essentially able to define the scope of what beauty is, moving their brand beyond the limitations of products to encompass an entire wellness focused lifestyle, which is ultimately an excellent way for brands to create a sense of community trust and loyalty that will uh, pay off and in increased sales.
0: And at Rivera, Chaz.
2: So I would completely agree with what Mallory uh, said regarding the shift into the convergence of, of Health and wellness as it relates to beauty. Uh, I think that's especially prevalent in skincare, as you're seeing skincare being thought of as self care by consumers. Uh, skin, after all, is our largest organ, and many of the things that we see on the surface are a product of kind of the complex biology that happens beneath. Uh, I think that's really complemented then um, by another shift that. We see, which is around uh, the shift in data and technology and the usage by consumers of very new tools and new technologies to drive uh, both their healthcare choices, their wellness choices, as well as the rest of the things that they do uh, across many of the purchase behaviors. Um, And I think what This really builds into is a much broader um, understanding that the consumer has about all of the things that are important to them, and how they actually manage their health and wellness beauty included using very new technology. Uh, And I think that's given rise to the final trend that I would say has come out. you know, across beauty and across many of the consumer spaces, uh, nutrition Mallory uh, alluded to as well. But when you think about personalization, so many of these new technologies that you know we'll probably talk about throughout this conversation are not only enabling that consumer to have much more understanding about what's happening with his or her body, but they're also giving rise to very new offerings and value propositions for those consumers around how they tailor products services to their individual needs so as mallory mentioned um, you know kind of this understanding of wellness and how brands are starting to cater to that um, the usage of some of these technologies to actually be able to give consumers better efficacy, a better consumer experience, and one that's tailored, not just from a sensorial and kind of marketing side of it, but actually tailored at the product level and the chemistry level to work with individual uh, physiologies and biology. That's a lot of what we've been seeing at Revia. It's it's kind of the underlying premise of what Revia is and bringing precision medicine to skincare. Um, and we really see this uh, manifesting in, in a lot of the consumer areas um, in beauty and outside of beauty.
0: And at JP Morgan, Mimi? Sure, absolutely. So certainly agree
3: with uh, with my counterparts here, the COVID-19 crisis, you know, shifted prior priorities and consumer priorities within the category towards, you know, an increased focus on wellness and self-care. Um, and with that, you know, the zoom effect of seeing your face all the time as you're remote working um, increased the consumers, you know, sort of focus around skin care. Um, wellness from within, thinking about, you know, sort of unbundling the spa and taking some of that at home, whether that's through tech-enabled devices to give you, you know, similar salon quality experience for skincare or hair care, or thinking about bringing um, sort of beauty at home with uh, coloring your roots and, and so on and so forth. I think there's also been a large structural shift in purchasing patterns towards online consumption, um, you know, that's had some headwinds recently with changes in, um, in you know, iOS and, and increasingly sort of crowded competitive market across beauty with a number of new market entrants coming into the space. And so as, um, as players within the industry think about how to really approach their consumers and the market, it's looking like an omni-channel approach is one that's been very successful uh, for brands, so combining that sort of focus on the D2C and e commerce channel with how to really increase consumer engagement across uh, the retail landscape. And then I'd also say, you know, kind of in line with this vein of thought, you know, evolving consumer preferences towards purpose driven ban- brands and better for you products. The topics of sustainability and ESG-oriented initiatives have increasingly been top of mind for consumers that, you know, more so now than ever before, have you know huge focus on what the ingredients are that they're putting into their body, how uh, beauty brands are sourcing their ingredients, what the supply chain looks like. Um, you know, things like sustainable packaging, refillable models, um, and I think that's driven a lot of innovation within the space to think about, um, you know, synthetic ingredients, waterless products, and just in general, a greater transparency from brands and retailers in what is being presented to consumers, which um you know, I think is is a trend that will certainly continue. Um, and I'd also, you know, agree with some of the earlier comments. Tech has had a huge part in driving innovation within the category in the space. Thinking through things like virtual try-on or AI-driven skincare recommendations, looking at um, companies utilizing data in more powerful ways than ever before, or thinking about how to maximize efficiency. Um, within retailers, whether that's through utilizing um, sort of beauty-specific tech platforms like a Gloss Genius or Squire to um, really cater to serving their consumers in a way that is um, as efficient and, you know, um, helpful as possible. I think those are some of the the interesting things that we're going to continue seeing uh, driving the beauty industry forward.
0: And Mallory, Omni-channel, D2C, what are the current digital drivers fashion snoops are tracking that are assisting the future-proofing of beauty retail?
1: So we've seen so many exciting digital drivers, and this is really one of the most dynamic and fun areas we've tracked from a trend perspective. The digitization movement has been so influential that we've even seen brands like German-based Catrice Cosmetics shift to an online-only retail strategy for their U.S. launch, previewing a future of digitally native DTC e-commerce. Ultimately, due to all these digital tools, our concept of what it means to shop and to even select a product has fundamentally changed. For brick and mortar locations, this is also true. We're seeing Fidgetal, which is a portmanteau of physical and digital. Um, Fidgetal storage experiences like Bloomingdale's new Bloomies at Bloomingdale's concept, which features a high-tech digital design that previews the future of department stores with uh, technology like QR elements, digital access to other Bloomingdale stores and personalization services, while other brands are going a step further with robot automation or contactless shopping. We also know that the tech-driven beauty delivery movement is not slowing down as consumers have become accustomed to this virtual convenience during the pandemic, leading to Uber offering and on-demand delivery of beauty products, Walmart rolling out their text-to-shop functionality, and even beauty product personal shoppers. And you know, building off this movement, the advancement of digital shade matching and digital makeup, which was just mentioned, I, I can't agree more. It can't be understated in terms of its influence on beauty retail. Only a few short years ago, this technology was seen you know, as sort of a novelty. It was not inclusive of many skin tones, hair types, or face shapes. And it was also frequently inaccurate and unrealistic. Now we've seen a complete reversal in the evolution of shade on technology. It's incredibly realistic. I mean, so realistically that just anecdotally, I used a lipstick real-time virtual try-on the other day, and it perfectly moved with my face on my phone. It moved when I turned my head. It completely accurately changed shade and texture according to the different lighting. It honestly blew me away, and many consumers are having the same experience when it comes to virtual try-ons. They're having a real, you know, the future but now moment. Which is causing the technology to branch out into several categories within beauty sally hansen's partnership with perfect corp for example with their next generation try on uh, nail polish technology has been a huge success it's generated buzz and has also helped to drive digital retail While well, we've also seen shade matching not only for nails and color cosmetics but for hair as well with brands like luxi hair debuting a virtual color match tool with sophisticated ai technology And of course, while accurate shade matching is also convenient and fun for the consumer, it also helps support sustainability as consumers are less likely to return the product. This is the same logic that supports AI and algorithm driven personalization technology, which is also expanded by leaps and bounds. And, you know, another important update to the digitization movement has been inclusivity as a driver within this space. As we see beauty retail technology become more diverse, Pinterest, for example, recently introduced a search tool function that allows users to search for visual hair inspiration with hair textures like coily, kinky, and curly. While we also see digital spaces like New Notions, which seeks to be the Yelp for inclusive beauty reviews, focusing on uh, reviews for only BIPOC-centered products, which is creating a much-needed space for inclusive and diverse options and thought sharing within beauty and wellness.
0: And for your brand, Chaz...
2: I think again I would uh, agree with much of what Mallory is saying and and if I build on that a little bit I think what what we're really seeing if we break down what the beauty space is you have kind of three larger buckets that consumers have moved through over time that I think are being uh, really morphed and changed with some of the new technologies and that would be you know product education product selection and product efficacy and if we think about what the consumer experience has been historically that process was very ad hoc. Uh, it was very individual and um, relied on kind of a smorgasbord of different inputs. Right, as someone would go through an education process, uh, they might go into store, they might be talking to an associate, they might be doing you know kind of tons and tons of research with a lot of the new sites that are breaking down ingredients, et cetera. Um, but it's been one that honestly, uh, there are a few analogs for where you have a space that there's you know ten thousand plus product plus products, fifty thousand ingredients all of whom are claiming to be the best for every consumer. Um, and it's become super overwhelming for the for, for consumers, uh, which has made then the final part of that, um, of finding product efficacy really, really challenging. So as Mallory talked about some of the, the virtual try-on and the advances uh, that were happening there, it's a great example of how you know, some of these new technologies are helping to change both that education and selection, ultimately getting to a better product, a better fit for that consumer changing some of the things that all consumers you know think about within their product graveyard etc um but then the the kind of the second big trend that i think is happening uh, there's a lot of things that have happened from a um what i'll call making visible uh, what has been invisible right uh, and so the ar examples that mallory alluded to uh, within hair and makeup are a great example of that where you know computer vision some of the ai technologies have really really advanced to make it from what was you know fairly pedestrian and, and kind of gamish into something that can now be a, a very real e-com tool for both consumers and brands the next step and what we're really seeing in, in Revia and what we're working on is how do you now take that from the things that are visible like makeup or hair and hair color and hairstyles into things that are invisible that exist in skincare. And much of that is around how do you use these technologies around AI and machine learning, uh, some of the advancements in genomics and epigenetics to actually see below the surface. Because to solve some of these same problems that these technologies have been applied to within makeup and hair care in the skincare side. You have to be able to move beyond what we can see in the mirror, and you have to be able to get to the root cause that's actually driving many of the issues and skincare concerns that consumers have. Back to where we started, which is, you know, this convergence of health, wellness and beauty. Wellness and in, in health really starts on the inside. And this is where we're seeing some really, really interesting advances when you pair New forms of data science and AI with advancements in biology and diagnostic tools that allow us to literally see beneath the skin, create layer by layer analysis of skin health, and actually then use some very advanced technology within machine learning and data science to map that individual biology to your optimal ingredient chemistry and actually then start to formulate for each individual and for their very specific biologies. So the same problems consumers have faced when it comes to finding shade and shade matching and the range of ethnicities and diversity that exists in our world, our biology diversity is vastly greater than our skin tone and and our, and our shade diversity. And getting to that and really understanding that is kind of what I think is is the next frontier of how some of these technologies will be used. Uh, And that's really that combination of data science and biology for kind of the field of bioinformatics. It's one of the things we're super excited about. Uh, I think the other thing that is really supporting that, um, both from the e-comm elements that were alluded to a little bit, um, but also from how some of these tools that, are possible and advanced technologies that are possible in a lab or a high-end kind of clinical research hospital, how can those be extended to consumers and democratized to kind of the home? Uh, And we're seeing some really interesting advancements on the mobile phone and the technologies that are capable within the mobile phone. So we'll talk about cameras, but not cameras just from, A selfie and an image capture a la Instagram, but cameras that are now seen beyond the normal visible spectrums. So, you know, the Apple 13 Pro had LiDAR built in, right? A very different way to think about what cameras are able to perceive and sense and actually detect. Huawei just announced their new P50 that has a multi-spectral camera built in that can actually start to see in near infrared and into some of the ultraviolet uh, wavelengths that allows a very different diagnostic set of tools to be, come to uh, basically consumers, you know, fingertips and into consumers' bathrooms and homes to be able to understand what's happening with their body and their skin and actually start to drive Much better consumer education, much better product selection, and ultimately a much better and more efficacious uh, treatment regimen when it comes to skincare for consumers.
0: Interesting. Visibility, invisibility. Mimi, is that something you're tracking at J.P. Morgan? Sure. I think it's important to think about um, trends from a holistic
3: view. And as you think about some of the evolution within digital drivers of the space, it's important to keep in mind, you know, the consumers and where they're at. So if you think about millennials, they have a powerful influence across consumer categories. And of course, Gen Z is rising to power, um, you know, in terms of, you know, how they're able to influence uh, purchasing, And so across uh, these groups of consumers, you know, they're seeking out innovative, you know, relevant solutions. They're, you know, focused on efficacy and transparency. Um, they're also, you know, generations that have grown up from, from an online point of view and, and very early on. Um, you know, are excited about trying new things and hyper aware of, you know, the ability to utilize digital tools for experimentation, playfulness, um, you know, sort of expand, you know, their understanding of of different products and categories that are out there. When you think about um, targeting this sort of online channel and how you can, you know, sort of drive that forward. I think it's really important to create, you know, sort of a rich consumer experience. So, you know, what I call the four C's for success, that's thinking about content, community, curation, convenience. From a content perspective, it's how do you sort of encourage inspiration and ideas for for the consumer? Is there, you know, content that you're publishing that helps from an educational perspective as, you know, sort of mentioned earlier? You know, is there user-generated content you can, you know, sort of build into the platform? Are there, you know, interactive features within the platform that helps sort of increase uh, consumer awareness and engagement? Um, And you can think about you know, Huda Beauty or others that have utilized um, you sort of informative content alongside building up their visibility in the market and how that sort of drives connectivity, you know, information among the consumer base and helps generally maximize uh, consumer information. And then when you think about community that's, you know, curating your retail experience or your brand to, you know, have brand evangelists, you know, whether that's through encouraged um, loyalty programs or, you know, sort of other um, consumer reviews and, and trying to sort of build up that community outside of just the product or the specific purchase, you know, has shown, you know, much higher success rate with getting, um, you know, higher sort of full price sell through and consumers, you know, coming back to your brand and to your sort of retail channel. Um, from a curation perspective, that's thinking about you know, how are you going to make this, you know, sort of service-oriented, tech-oriented, um, you know, how are you going to improve the shopping experience for your your consumer base? Are there personalized product or recommendations that you can make? And, and certainly there's been a ton around, you know, curating specific products, you know, for the specific consumers and how that could be scalable, um, you know, in, incorporating Um, different avenues of tech, you can think about, you know, Ipsy, which, you know, 100% of their purchases are through recommendations and how that sort of helps, again, you know, increase full price sell through, reduce overall CAC for new, you know, consumers um, trying and and experimenting with the brand. Um, And then sort of lastly, I touched upon convenience of, you know, sort of the e-commerce and and D2C channel, you know, there's sort of that um, instant gratification of being able to look at the product and order it. Um, you know, you can sort of reduce search time for for your customers and and try to create, you know, really what is um, a frictionless experience that'll sort of increase, uh, you know, success um, in the digital space. And so if you think about, you know, um, a company like Madison Reed, which, you know, sort of um, became really, really, you know, sort of escalated over the last couple of years, um, driven by some tailwinds with COVID and having their auto ship subscription service for at home, um, hair coloring, you know, that sort of auto ship component, you know, reduces friction for the consumer, encourages repeat purchases, repeat buying, and, you know, sort of all of that together can help, um, you know, digitally native brands or retailers really maximize the lifetime value of, of the consumers that are coming in. Um, you know, I'd also just sort of add, uh, this was touched upon earlier, but certainly big tech and tech innovation has come into the beauty space, which is really, really exciting to see, Um, whether that's through, you know, mentioned virtual try-on or AI-enabled recommendations or personalization. Um, There's also a ton of sort of, you know, smart at-home devices um, you know, sort of compelling, you know, opportunities to, to utilize evidence-based beauty and think about, you know, how to personalize, um, you know, your skincare analysis and user recommendations as, as um, Mallory and, and Chaz touched upon. So it's, it's definitely an exciting time to see, you know, all of the, the multi-pronged, you know, sort of tech approaches to, to the category that have been
0: popping up and exciting to see what else comes from that. So if we look at the other end of the scale, Mallory, what are the current environmental drivers fashion snoops have been tracking that are impacting the future proofing of beauty retail?
1: Well, we know that more than ever before, consumers are prioritizing the environment when it comes to their purchasing decisions, which has led to beauty retailers to reorganize their product offerings, to make them clean, organic, ethical, and making sustainable options easier to find. Modern consumers, especially younger Gen Z demographics, use retail as an extension of their personal values and want to be assured that everything from the packaging to the formulation to the shipping to the store's policies itself are sustainable, environmentally responsible and ethical. If anything, the pandemic has boosted environmental consciousness among consumers. Um, as many are choosing to become more selective with their beauty purchasing to ensure they aren't contributing towards a harmful system. You know, there's a reason why uh, we chose to title one of our recent beauty reports Conscious Consumption and Consciously Crafted. It's because we really are seeing this more thoughtful, intentional, and mindful approach to sustainable beauty consumption, with consumers using the power of their wallets to speak for their eco-responsible morals. We know that consumers are only going to strengthen this environmental resolve. So in terms of future-proofing, this is a key area for brands to focus on in order to gain consumer trust and maintain integrity. So in response to this, we're seeing uh, more beauty brands collaborate and partner up for the good of the environment and a savvy move that signals strong environmental responsibility to skeptical consumers. A recent example of this that we saw was L'Oreal, Henkel, LVMH, Unilever, and Natura & Co. They partnered up and announced they are co-developing an environmental impact assessment and scoring system for cosmetic products. The score is meant to be neutral in terms of what brands it covers and will take into account the entire lifespan of a product and the environmental impact of that lifespan, ultimately helping shoppers identify products and make better decisions. Supporting this, we also see beauty brands work to reduce waste across the board. As we know, the beauty industry is one of the most wasteful industries, not only in terms of the ongoing upcycling and zero waste movement, but also in terms of marketing language and product development. We've tracked the rise of words like sustainably sourced, ethical, and non-harmful, pointing to an increased scrutiny on ingredient sourcing, while more sustainable formulations are also changing the face of beauty retail itself. Waterless bar form products, for example, mark a shift in beauty retail displays from big, giant bottles, while preservative-free options sometimes present a challenge for brands in terms of storage. We're also seeing stores themselves become more sustainable with more efficient power sources, zero-waste materials, and non-toxic procedures. We love the recent example of Kiel's new Future Made Better store in India, which wants to spread the word about sustainable beauty while also doing its part to represent environmentally responsible beauty retail. The store features initiatives like Kiehl's Recycle and Be Rewarded program, which helps make sustainability more easy and accessible for consumers. And is the
0: conscious consumer environmental driver at Revive, Chaz?
2: Absolutely, I think it is, uh, as Mallory mentioned, um, becoming more and more pervasive across uh, the consumer space um i think there's a few things that are are really interesting that we're seeing Uh, i think the ingredient sourcing the sustainability all of those pushes uh, i would agree with completely Uh, i think those are then forcing some very new models and innovation to happen Uh, i think some of the places that weren't mentioned that are really interesting for us are um, areas of innovation around the supply chain so whether that be the full cycle or the full life cycle of the packaging, because obviously that is one of the big areas of waste, uh, but also then into how products are actually made. Uh, historically, much of beauty is, you know, was built for economies of scale in the supply chain. So you have, you know, large, pro- large amounts of products produced in kind of high speed lines filled into inventory that, you know, then shipped out to retailers and typically about 10 to 15 percent of those end up going to landfill or some type of you know waste or recycling program because of expired inventory and and never purchased and that's just a very inefficient model uh, to match where consumers are moving and so i think you're starting to see um, a shift not only in how to companies think about the impact of the ingredients they use, the packaging choices they make, but how can they also rethink fundamentally their supply chain that delivers more value for the consumer um, for some of the things we talked about before around personalization and and kind of tailoring uh, individual needs for that 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 consumer and then also matching to be better for the consumer and better for the planet and that's where we've spent a lot of time really thinking about the technology that we've created not only in the models of you know diagnostics and ai to understand the need but then how do we fundamentally reinvent a supply chain where we can create three thousand products on demand um, for individuals and so it's not holding inventory in very traditional ways but really thinking about you know Principles of late-stage differentiation, principles of efficiency, uh, to make better products and to have a smaller impact and footprint um, with within the environment. I think the other thing that is uh, really interesting, and this is what we're seeing uh, in some of the data that we collect, we run a few different sites in terms of understanding and help consumers navigate. But um, in one of them, where you know, call it around twenty thousand consumers that we've surveyed across this, um, you see you see some consumer. Um, I won't call it conflict, but let's let's think about it as maybe tension, where they are very, very aware and conscious of the things around sustainability or vegan lifestyle, um, but they're trying to understand how to balance that with their need and desire for performance. And this is where I think the industry still has a long way to go, because uh, today what we see in, in kind of our data is about 60% of consumers still prioritize product performance over any of the other factors uh, that exist whether that be sustainability or whether that be clean um, cruelty free etc and i think what that's meant is they feel as if the industry has presented them historically with a mutually exclusive choice and i think this is where brands really need to step up and where we're really interested in um, you know bringing new solutions to the market where consumers don't have to make the trade-off between shopping and living their values and having highly effective products tailored to their needs. And that's where I think these breakthroughs in technology uh, really start to serve and create some very interesting value propositions for the consumers that allow them to meet all of their sustainability goals um, or their you know kind of goals of, of being vegan um, and allow those to manifest in the products but not have to trade off performance and product experience uh, in those same choices.
0: And is JP Morgan looking at the supply chain, Mimi? Absolutely. You know, this, as mentioned, you know, that
3: increasing consumer focus on products that reflect, you know, aspirations for a healthy lifestyle, higher ethical environmental standards, you know, has been something that's building and, you know, we don't, um, and that's not something that's going to go away. Um, Completely agree uh, with the point that Chaz made that there is, you know, often this tension between, you know, having you know, sort of clean, natural, sustainable products and, and efficacy. And so it'll be exciting to see um, more and more brands and, and retailers bridge that gap. You know, we sort of focus on, you know, thinking about the source and quality of ingredients, you know, free from, from undesirable attributes, you know, trying to think about how the ingredients are are sourced, is that in a sustainable method Um, Thinking through, you know, clean labels, detailed and transparent labeling, Um, you know, consumers have that, you know, as as I think we've mentioned, focused around understanding what they're putting on and in their body and with more information available and consumers, um, you know, increasingly focused on that, Um, that's something that we're seeing you know a lot of of uh, progress on, and um, I know we'll touch upon it later. But thinking through some of the regulate regulatory aspects of that, um, we also think about package composition. So you know, sort of the emphasis on thinking about you know, are there reusable, recyclable, compostable materials? Is there you know a way to deliver your product in a waterless format? As as Mallory mentioned, is there you know sort of a, a way to um, encourage you know sort of refillable packaging and, and sort of minimize the single use plastic while still again keeping the products efficacious and delivered you know in a convenient safe way that's that's also you know from a price perspective um feasible and then you know i think lastly thinking through the entire production process and retail distribution um, so we've had some some you know startups as well as major brands discuss thinking about, you know, reducing carbon footprint of their supply chain or having, you know, carbon neutral targets, um, you know, publicly stated, which is, um, you know, very encouraging to see. And, you know, consumers do want eco-friendlier alternatives. And we're seeing that, you know, more and more brands are, you know, sort of agreeing that they have the responsibility to protect people and the planet by offering sustainable initiatives. A Euromonitor survey, um, not too long ago sort of noted that 84% of brands, you know, are focused on this Um, 78% of brands feel that it's important to try to, you know, think about more green or eco-friendly or sustainable options. Um, You know, 86% of consumers would buy or try a product from a new brand that has a sustainable message and slant. So these are, you know, really high sort of indications around how important uh, the environment and sustainable practices are. Um, You know, everything from, you know, again, impact investing, L'Oreal has talked about um, committing um, significant capital towards impact investing, but you've got, you know, sort of brands like ILIA, you know, partnering to create zero waste solutions and, um, and others that are, you know, sort of really, really targeting this, this area and trying to marry that with, you know, again, as, as noted, creating efficacious products um, for for consumers to enjoy.
0: But who is monitoring this, Mallory? What are fashion snoops tracking the current regulations that are aiding and abetting the future-proofing of beauty retail?
1: Well, certainly pandemic global regulations in terms of indoor gatherings, mask wear, and social restrictions have been a dominant regulatory presence curtailing beauty retail. Depending on future variants, we may continue to see established conversations around mask wear, social distancing, and lack of in-store sampling, for example. However, the pandemic is not the only force that's proven challenging for beauty retailing. First, we're seeing a huge crackdown worldwide on ingredient safety and formula transparency, specifically and often within fragrance, which has certainly affected which brands third-party retailers carry. This is really due to the fact that consumers themselves are becoming more educated and are questioning the beauty status quo, putting pressure on brands and governments alike to provide products that are safer and more ethical. While some nations like Germany and Europe as a whole are quite advanced in terms of the regulations monitoring beauty retail, countries like America are woefully behind as we see slow but encouraging progress in terms of laws that prohibit certain chemicals from being used in cosmetics, stricter standards for product testing, and tighter crackdowns on illegal um, or counterfeit products. Another emerging trend in terms of regulation that I'd also like to highlight is the evolving discussion around the dangers of false beauty advertising. This is springing from larger conversations about the detrimental effects of the false and unrealistic representation of beauty on social media, which has caused governments to take this issue quite seriously from a regulatory perspective. We know that teenagers are in particular incredibly vulnerable to predatory beauty advertising, and we've seen countries implement stricter rules for beauty retail. China, for example, has curtailed the use of pseudo-medical language often used within beauty, as China's state market regulator recently categorized medical beauty advertisements as equivalent to medical advertising and thus subject to harsher penalties for misrepresentation. We've also seen governments pass legislation against unrealistic beauty advertising in general, as well as rules against influencer marketing, which is helping to create a more authentic space for consumers where they can make the best decision for them, not decisions that come from a place of insecurity or shame. So brands who take steps ahead of these regulations to set a new standard for positive beauty messaging will further earn consumer respect and will be seen as a leader and not a follower within this movement. You know, consumers really gravitate towards brands who do things out of positive, proactive intention and not just because they have to. So this is specifically an area that will be very savvy for brands to get ahead of.
0: And how are regulations affecting your brand, Chaz?
2: In in many, many ways. I I do want to pick up on the last point that Mallory made there because I think that is one of... um, The most important shifts that needs to happen within the beauty industry, Uh, it has historically been. um, A non inclusive industry, whether that is you know body types shades ethnicities etc it's one that's created very unreal definitions of of what beauty is. um, And hasn't given and and has preyed upon the insecurities uh, that that many consumers have to drive sales and and I think. If we go back to where we started this conversation in terms of the consumer trends that we're seeing, that macro shift to the convergence of health, wellness, and beauty gives us an opportunity to really mentally reimagine what the conversation in beauty can be and redefine what the beauty and skincare experience can be around a discussion that is optimizing your individual health and wellness, um, one that meets and is tailored to your definition of what wellness and beauty is and should be and not an industry definition and i think some of that is regulatory some of that is social and societal but i think that is one of the most important shifts um, that we as kind of new and disruptive brands can really help to force the industry in Uh, and i think it will have you know significant impacts on not only the the kind of consumer experience but also just the health of the industry in total um and i think as we then you know take it to some of the regulatory components uh i i would say there's a couple that are helping i think the the regulations around transparency of ingredients are definitely helping to push better consumer understanding there's a lot of misinformation in beauty today there's no aligned definitions of what um things like clean beauty mean what free of means and so that confusion is often preyed upon and there's a lot of um we'll call it marketing that that operates in those gray areas um, that makes it really hard for consumers to understand what they're actually getting in and putting on or putting in their body as mimi alluded to and and i think the more that we have leadership uh, at a regulatory and a brand level for creating consistent definitions and holding ourselves and our industry accountable um, for what those definitions are will serve to create a better industry, cleaner products, better for consumers, better for the planet. Um, you know, I think the ones that are challenging right now for the industry for sure are are ones that we talked a little bit about in supply chain. Um, you know, we, as we were talking in, in the last kind of question, uh we have a refillable model really focused on what sustainability is, uh, where you can have forever packaging and then, you know, minimize the footprints that go forward. Um, but quite frankly, from a supply chain, the supply base and some of the regulation around you know, what refillable and what um, recycled and content of ingredients are, um, hasn't caught up to where it needs to be. So uh, even when brands are trying to push down those areas, uh, the supply base and some of the regulation around uh, what's required to be in packaging or not in packaging um, still makes that a pretty arduous uh, journey to get there for consumers um, or for brands and then for consumers. And then I think the final thing um, that we feel as a brand, which is, you know, a product of kind of the increased global nature of of our world and global connectivity, um, is a lot of the the tariffs and and different trade impacts that have been going back and forth that's made it really, really challenging for many of the kind of smaller brands and larger brands uh, to start to think about consistent supply chains and navigating, you know, more novel models that don't have as big of a supply base, Um, you know, when you start to put significant price increases on tariffs and things like that that come in uh it 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 really really changes um with that with that uh, kind of landscape looks like and then i think finally as we connect it to personalization and you know, really creating more efficacious product for individuals, I think there needs to be similar innovation and and kind of catch up within the regulatory models around OTC and what products can how products are tested how product efficacy. Uh, is validated things like compatibility stability testing or things like sunscreen and the the kind of acne OTC monograph um, those are creating some pretty significant challenges to delivering better consumer experiences, uh, because they're built on very historical models of how products are developed and tested. Um, And I think as that continues to evolve, uh, we'll see even more innovation in the space that is, you know, kind of really linking consumer need to product efficacy um, in a much better experience and product. It's things we're working on, but you know, changing regulatory environments are are definitely a, a slower, a slower progress.
0: And how does J.P. Morgan view regulations, Mimi? Well, you know,
3: I can certainly speak for myself. You know, when I first started covering this sector many, many, many years ago, um, you know, it was a surprise to me that, you know, from a regulatory perspective in the U.S., um, really, you know, a lot of the, the testing and, and sort of focus was around, you know, SPF and, and anti-acne um, type treatments as, as you know, Chaz Um, mentioned. And so thinking about, you know, how that could be expanded, you know, across the board um, for the beauty industry is is really interesting. Um, You know, certainly larger brands have a reputational um, sort of buy-in to making sure that their, you know, products are um, safe and efficacious. But, you know, as we've seen, you know, so many new market entrants come in, um, it's been interesting to see the discussion around, um, what regulations can protect the specific consumer. So whether that's around, um, you know, sort of sustainability and, and more sort of transparency around how, you know, materials are sourced in a, in a local and responsible way, you know, reducing emissions, eliminating waste, um, you know, so the U.S. doesn't necessarily have, you know, the, the strict guidelines that some of our counterparts abroad do um, you know the the U.S. FTC sort of maintains green guides to help marketers think about you know ensure that the claims that they're making about environmental attributes you know are truthful and and not deceptive. But there really isn't um, you know as strict guidelines around that in in the U.S. And so one thing that's been um, you know encouraging to see is a lot of startup brands thinking about the stricter um regulations within uh, that exist within other markets, whether that's Europe or or otherwise um, around ingredients around sourcing and creating their brands and their um, models to build towards that, you know, with a view of becoming you know a global brand or, or one that's you know consumers, you know can can feel good about um, uh, purchasing and, and feel like there is a consistent, you know, sort of reliable data behind um, the claims and, and the ingredients that are being presented. Um, you know, in addition to sort of the sustainable and ingredient, you know, transparency, um, you know, I think certainly uh, thinking about how the use of consumer data is being utilized. So, you know, we're seeing more and more sort of tech enabled services. And, you know, earlier we talked a little bit about, um, you know, sort of AI you know, driven data you know, data collection and, and machine learning components um, being built into how beauty companies are, you know, approaching their market and, and gaining consumers. And so I think, you know, um, thought around how that consumer data, you know, is, is entered and processed and in turn, you know, sort of analyzed and regulated um, is going to be a really interesting um, discussion uh, that's that's already started. Um you know there's already some consumer you know sort of privacy privacy and data protection laws that are in place but um you know I think as that sort of innovation develops it'll be an area to watch. Um, and you know I think as as you think about the trend towards consumers, you know, becoming digital beauty shoppers and shifting more of their spend to online, you know, all of that sort of, you know, there are compliance areas that, you know, are necessary in the e-commerce space when it comes to pricing, shipping, you know, we saw, you know, sort of in light of COVID-19, how supply and demand, you know, influenced um, pricing for consumer products. And so, you know, there's been, you know, discussion and, and regulations that are um you know helping companies not artificially inflate um consumer product prices, which I think you know helps uh, all consumers that are that are purchasing here. Um and I think the other category that wasn't mentioned but that we're seeing you know some some press around is certainly the protection of intellectual property. Um, you know it's it's difficult oftentimes to um sort of you know, separate what is really, you know, sort of unique and innovative and, um, versus, you know, what's, what other brands are doing, but we've certainly seen a lot of startups within the space and new market entrants think about, you know, sort of the, the way that they're going to market the processes that they're putting in place to formulate, um, or even the formulations themselves and, you know, go out to, to get more protection around their intellectual property, which I think, um, is definitely an interesting area of regulation to watch.
0: Indeed. And finally, Mallory, what will
1: beauty retail look like in 12 months time? So I'm very hopeful that in 12 months, we'll see a real robust return to in-person beauty retail. Over the last two years, it's been incredibly difficult to establish any kind of stability from understanding how to protect consumers from the virus to managing emerging and unexpected COVID variants. But with the global vaccine rollout combined with the strong consumer desire to return to pre-pandemic routines, I think we'll see in-person beauty retail pick up. After years of isolation, consumers are craving togetherness normalcy and social interaction more than ever before. And I really believe that we're going to see a gratifying return to normal where brick and mortar retail is concerned. That said, due to the rapid digitization movement that's taken place because of the pandemic, in 12 months, I think we'll also see even more advanced immersive thematic and realistic digital retail environments for beauty and we'll see more brands invest in an elevated e-commerce presence as a safeguard against potential future variants that's the real future proofing part of this conversation that digitization is the way forward to stay connected with your consumers to build community to keep them engaged with your product even when you can't meet them in a physical space Also, in terms of beauty proofing, I think that the beauty retail landscape a year from now depends a lot on how brands evolve and adapt with these macro cultural movements and growing consumer trends. We know all too well that these external factors are uncontrollable and unpredictable, but the success of brands and ultimately retail over the next year will depend on their ability to cement themselves in the consumer mindset as a brand that is authentic, honest, and transparent. As well as a brand that truly acknowledges consumer pain points.
0: And for your brand, Revere, Chaz?
2: Uh, For sure. I think for us, it will continue to be consumer driven and focused on the individual experience. Um, At the end of the day, we talk about beauty as an industry, as a whole. But when we think about it and we distill it down, you know, beauty really is a collection of very individual, very intimate decisions, very experiential products. Um, and I think that's what will come out of a lot of the, the changes that we've seen within COVID. Um, the, the rise of e the rise of the digitization that, that Mallory was alluding to, I think all of those have empowered consumers in very new ways. And they're shifting that balance of power from brands and retailers to consumers um, that now have a plethora of options at their fingertips to be able to create brighter product experiences, get better product efficacy. And so what we're really focused on and what I think the industry you're going to see as well is how do you use those tools? How do you create very immersive um, consumer experiences in that retail setting, whether that is online, offline, in you know kind of new and novel distribution channels but i think it will be much more experiential it's going to be that blend of you know in an, an omni-channel approach and i think it is going to be much more deeply uh, technology and data driven not for the ones and zeros purpose of technology but to create, very, very rich experiences, because uh, I think what consumers are, are craving and what has come out of uh, the last two years is, you know, a bit of a renaissance of science, a much better understanding of individual health and wellness. Um, and I think consumers are really looking for solutions and tools that are tailored for them, um, and brands and retailers that then step up to empower them with those type of tools to kind of take back uh, control of their beauty, their skin, their health and wellness. Uh, And I think those are the brands and retailers that are going to be rewarded going forward. Uh, And I think that is also supported by what we've been talking around um, in the kind of evidence-based beauty. So I think these are the the kind of factors and forces that are going to really shape, um, you know, what what retail and, and what consumer experience looks like over the next 12 months.
0: And how does JP Morgan see the beauty retailing environment stepping up, Mimi? Well, I am just so excited because I think
3: that there's, you know, broadly, when you think about beauty as a a category, there's just going to be a ton of continued innovation. You know, every day I meet with founders and, you know, um, executive teams that have, you know, just a lot of passion for the business and um, are looking for more and more ways to connect with their consumers and innovate in the space. And so, you know, just although it's increasingly a a competitive market, I think competition is great to really push, um, brands and retailers to, you know, provide, um, the best possible solutions for consumers. And, you know, I think there's a ton of interest, you know, uh, investment capital and, you know, also sort of focus from large brands around what's, you know, sort of happening within the space. And so from a, from a retailing perspective, you know, agree with all this, the sentiments that my, um, that my, uh, you know, friends on, on the podcast have, um, have mentioned, but we'll also say, you know, we've seen a little bit of, you know, retailers kind of experimenting with alternative methods, whether that's, you know, thinking about partnering with, um, you know, gyms and fitness centers, apparel retailers, you know, distributing beauty through vending machines at you know, highly trafficked points, or, you know, I think one thing that we we didn't talk too much about, but was just, you know, sort of brands having to think about, you know, an Amazon strategy, whether or not they want to sell through Amazon, it's become, you know, such a large you know, sort of influence in how beauty products are, you know, sold, searched, you know, replenished um, that, you know, we're, we're sort of seeing companies, whether or not they're, you know, sort of looking to pursue that channel, really have to think about, um, you know, from a financial perspective and operational perspective, how do they um, manage having, having Amazon in, you know, double down in the space. Um, but, you know, broadly speaking, I think there's a ton of really exciting opportunity here, whether it's through, you know, creating, you know, a more inclusive environment across gender, age, um, you know, a, a diversity, as well as, you know, a lot of opportunity for, you know, sort of um, an omni-channel strategy that, you know, helps create sort of a, a mutually beneficial loop for brands where, you know, they can sort of meet consumers where they are and create a really engaging and um, exciting opportunity for, uh, to interact with, with that consumer base. Um, so just, um, really excited to see how everything develops. And, you know, I, I feel that the industry is going to continue to be a, a place of great innovation and, um, and a lot of fun to cover.
0: And with that, I would like to thank my guests, Mallory, Chaz, and Mimi for joining me today and to you for listening.